Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Perhaps more than ever, people are sharing their lives with dogs as companions. Worldwide, there are approximately half a billion domestic dogs. In North America alone, over 40% of households report having a dog. Now, the relationship between animals and humans goes back thousands of years and has been mutually beneficial for both of us. Dogs are provided a safe, warm place to live, surrounded by their pet parents' love. But they also gave us a lot, and not just company. Research shows that petting a dog can reduce blood pressure, improve mental health, and in particular during the pandemic, ease stress and provide companionship. Data shows that pet owners may have fared better these last few years because of their furry friends. So today we talk with Dr. Carolyn Walsh, who co-founded the Canine Research Unit Lab at Memorial University. Their focus has been on the social behavior of domestic dogs and the relationship between hormones such as stress hormones and our feel-good hormones, oxytocin. They also look at dog personalities and behavior. She'll walk us through why dog ownership may have some unexpected positive health benefits. We'll then finish our show by talking with Sandy Delaney from the Newfoundland Athletic Dog Association and learn how dogs and their humans can get active with their program. Let's get to our chat with Dr. Walsh. Hi, Dr. Walsh. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi, glad to be here. Yeah, this isn't our first time chatting about this topic because it's such an interesting chat. Uh, you study the connection between animals and humans and animals in general. Tell me about your research. Sure. So um, I work in the psychology department at Memorial University, and my research, really, I'm an animal behavior researcher. That's what I started doing. I started actually studying seabird behavior. And then over time, uh, I actually moved more towards domestic animals. Part of that was for personal reasons. Uh, I had a small family, young family. It was difficult to go out and do field work and, you know, stay for extended periods of time in a seabird colony. And so around, I guess it was 2007, 2008, um, we started thinking about the possibility of doing animal behavior research with dogs. And at that time, dogs were kind of not completely accepted as sort of a legitimate species to study in animal behavior. There was a little bit of work going on and most of it was actually coming out of Europe, in particular from Hungary. And so that was starting to get into like what we call our primary scientific literature, right? Where people, you know, publish papers and everyone says, oh yes, that's a, you know, it's a good study. That's a worthwhile pursuit. Mm -hmm. um, and so we started seeing that and we thought, well, you know what, that's something that we could probably do here or I could do here. And I think I come to or I came to dogs because my life, my whole life, I, my family has owned dogs. Um, and so they've always been part of my life and what I've been interested in. And, uh, you know, I guess at some point I decided, yeah, I think I can bring my professional skills to um, actually studying dog behavior. And over time, as we started, you know, myself and my students and some colleagues who collaborate with me, we became much more aware of the role that people play, the humans play um, in terms of dog behavior and how important that relationship is for both dogs and for people, right? So that sort of bi-directional two-way relationship. And so we became more and more interested in um, studying aspects of that relationship and what contributes to that relationship, you know, those factors that affect, you know, the, the bond or the attachment between people and their pets, mostly dogs, but not solely dogs. We've done a little bit of work in the past couple of years uh, looking at uh, cat owners as well. And so, yeah, so, the, so that's sort of... The, 
the area right now we kind of broadly call um, human-animal interaction. And so right now, most of um, my research is focused um, around human-animal interaction. Amazing. Yeah, well, obviously, there's a strong connection. You see dog moms and dog dads and people right. call themselves cat ladies or cat guys. I mean, this is just the way uh, the world is, that there's such an yep. instrumental part of growing up. Um, you know, how does this connection between us and animals actually manifest? Right. And so it, that's also really interesting, right? And it's changed over time. I'm not a historian, right? But we do know that there are people who have actually kind of looked at those historical sort of social aspects of, you know, our relationship with the animals, domestic animals, like our pets, as we'd call them, but also other, other species. Um, but we do know that, you know, in the, in the past number of decades, many people have, like you said, kind of um, maybe even it's become more popular, I would say, to kind of consider yourself as a pet parent. Um, and so like in Newfoundland, of course, we see the t-shirts like dog mutter and dog potter. Yes. <laughs> you know? so, so there's all those kinds of, um, you know, things out there. And I, and I actually have right now um, an honors student, so an undergraduate student who's doing her honors thesis um, in psychology. And that's part of the study that she's looked at, she's looking at right now. So we're in the middle of data analysis. So we have a little bit of um, information about what that study is telling us. But we were really pleased because she just started, we, we launched the questionnaire survey of dogs, specifically dog, and I say owners, and owners in scare quotes, um, yeah. because a lot of people don't actually like that term owner. So they don't consider themselves an owner of their pet. There is a legal definition that legally, yes, they are owners. Um, but, you know, a lot of people do consider their pets to be family members. And so would prefer terms like guardians to use, or parents even, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so, so it does seem that in some ways the whole view of for some people and not for all people, but mm -hmm. it seems more popular and more common that a lot of people now do kind of consider their pets to maybe be just like a child or a yeah. baby. And in fact, one of the things that Nancy, my student, um, her name is Nancy Lundrigan, what she's found is that of our, like, I think we had almost um, 1600 people that participated in this study, which is great. But of those um, uh, participants, like a vast majority, like over 90% strongly agreed with the statement, my dog is like my child's baby. So, I mean, that's really telling. Yeah, yeah. That is. I mean, uh, so the question I got with that is that we've had dogs domesticated for a long time. Like how, yeah. how long was that? And is that bond a function of living with these animals for so long? It's really an interesting question. And there's a lot of people who have sort of theories around that. And in fact, some researchers would say that, you know, humans and animals kind of co-domesticated, right? Especially dogs and, you know, some, and other species as well. Um, but dogs in particular, I mean, we, we have archaeological records, you know, that show that dogs were actually the, what we now call domestic dogs, which we do know are related to our modern wolves right so our modern wolves they are related they're not necessarily completely descendants dogs don't you know necessarily come right from wolves but you know there were changes that happened over thousands of years that actually created something that looks a lot like a wolf but really isn't it's a domesticated dog and so the archaeological record tells us that this was probably happening 15,000 years ago we had you know dogs that were part of human societies, human, you know, um, uh, uh, 
communities where they find like, you know, those, those um, uh, artifacts. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, it, it's likely that there's been a sort of a mutual benefit for people to have dogs around this domesticated, you know, creature mm -hmm. that can actually, you know, in many cultures has had jobs and in our society today still continues very often to have jobs. So we actually have work that's useful and benefits people for dogs. In the past, it's been primarily things like assisting in hunting, right? Yeah, and right. helping hauling wood, right? I mean, in Newfoundland, our Newfoundland dog, that was one of the reasons why we had this big draft dog, right? Was that they actually can help, you know, haul things out of the woods kind of thing, right? As well as, of course, there are great swimmers and all those things. So they used to be used to haul nets in, help haul nets in, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, so there's been that kind of mutual relationship where people benefited from having dogs around. But dogs have benefited in a lot of ways too from being able to be with people, right? And so now I think a lot of researchers say like the changes that have happened over these thousands of years that have taken something that was, you know, very much like our modern wolves are, and now has made it into something that can look like a Shih Tzu or can look yeah. like a, you know, St. Bernard dog or Newfoundland dog or whatever. So much variability, right? And what we call the dog, you know, those things have, um, you know, kind of been a mutual relationship that has evolved over time. That's Dr. Carolyn Walsh from the Canine Research Unit at Memorial University. She's sharing why pet owners may have some unexpected health benefits. We'll be right back after the break. We're here with Dr. Carolyn Walsh from the Canine Research Unit at Memorial University. She's sharing why pet owners may have some unexpected health benefits. Let's get back to the interview. Are there specific health benefits for people having pets? Because I kind of think that they, they make you feel good at the end of a bad day. You come home and your dog's at the top of the right. stairs waiting for you, wagging its tail. You can't really be in a bad mood. And that's really interesting because mostly now, to be honest, you know, there are still dogs who have jobs in society. We have service dogs, so we have guide dogs, you know, we have dogs that do other kinds of like um, animal assisted therapy work and all that kind of thing. But the primarily, primarily, and at least in westernized societies, the role of a dog is a companion animal. Right. So there are companions in our homes. You know, they don't necessarily have specific jobs, although you're right. They bark at the mailman or, you know, they can warn us if someone's coming, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but mostly, yeah, I think people now have these dogs in their lives and want to have these, you know, pets in their lives because of that um, uh, companionship and that emotional support that we know that dogs can offer people and that yes so there are there are studies that say that you know those relationships can really translate into improved wellness for people so mm -hmm. for the humans and so that's definitely a major role for um for our dogs now yeah is that companionship mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah. I was talking to somebody from One Health, the University of Guelph, and they actually mentioned changes in like blood pressure and things like that. Are there yep. some physical changes that occur as well as mental? Absolutely. So um, we do know that, you know, there's there's often something, I mean, it's sort of still a little bit magical, right? We we kind of, it's hard to, as, as scientists, we want to measure all those things that we can. So there's been studies that have looked at things like you said, blood pressure and heart rate changes before and after someone interacts with an animal, um, usually a dog. Um, some of this work has been done most recently in students, right? So we know that many universities 
universities have these programs for students where they kind of have therapy dogs come in here at Memorial. There's the St. John's therapy dogs, right? I mean, the, the, they'll come in with their, their handlers their human handlers and students will be able to like pet them and just interact with them. And it's great for students who like maybe have a dog, you know, back home, you know, and are missing them or, or whatever. And so it does seem to actually, um, students report that they like doing that, right? I mean, everybody wants to go and pet their dog, the dog. So, I mean, obviously it's, there's a mental health benefit, but there have been studies, not, not my lab hasn't done them here, but there are studies that actually do show that, you know, you can actually measure changes in things like um, physical, those those, those measurements of like blood pressure, et cetera, but also hormonal changes. And so some of the hormones in my lab has done some work with the hormonal aspects of the, this relationship between dogs and their owners. I mean, you might be able to hear my dogs in the background. Perfect. I don't know. That's great. Yeah. But um, so things like stress hormones, like cortisol, we know that those can be influenced in a positive way so that we see reductions potentially in cortisol, um, you know, after people interact with animals. So, yeah, so the so the changes can be very fundamental and physiological, as well as, you know, sort of, you know, just the good feelings that we get. It's not just good feelings. Yeah. Perfect. I'm going to stay right on this topic of hormones because this was an area that I did a lot of research in. There's another hormone that dogs can help release, and that's called oxytocin. Yes. Tell yeah. me about what oxytocin is. Sure. So oxytocin in the media, we people like to refer to as the love drug, right? It's our natural hormone that we release, you know, when we're actually interacting with another human most often, you know, so, so people who are in love, like a romantic relationship, we see releases of oxytocin, but also mothers and their infants in particular, small children, when moms are, are breastfeeding or nursing their babies and interacting in a tactile, like physically, you know, and dads as well. So it doesn't only, it's not only restricted to mom, moms, but we do see changes in oxytocin. So oxytocin increases and oxytocin is fantastic because it has all these very positive sort of cascades, we might call them right on our body. So it makes us feel good. You know, we, we are more contented, you know, and, but it also is related to changes in other hormones that maybe decrease some of our other things going on in our body. Yeah. So our heart rate does tend to go down or blood pressure tends to go down and all those yeah. things. So, yeah. so there's definitely work that show that you can get similar increases in oxytocin when someone's interacting with a, a, a loved animal, for example. And um, it seems to be one of the important things seems to be the physical contact, right? So if you're stroking your dog or your dog is cuddled up next to you on the couch or, you know, in your lap and you're having that kind of physical interaction, we can see people can measure changes in oxytocin levels, both in the people and in the dog. So it seems to benefit the dogs like it too. Yeah. So it is very cool. Yeah. Anybody who's had a cuddly dog in the past has always been late to a handful of meetings in their life because the dog was like on their lap and they just didn't want to move because it was Absolutely. too good. Yeah. Now, during the pandemic, it's been a very difficult time for a lot of people. Uh, how sure. have people used pets during the pandemic to help? It's really interesting. Um, I think that there's certainly plenty of studies out there now that show that the rates of adoption, for example, of dogs and cats from animal shelters increased over the pandemic. So many people were, and also, you know, getting dogs from breeders, those kinds of things. So there, there, there definitely are reports that there was an increase in interest. And it's, in, it's interesting to kind of think about why that might be, right? I mean, 
uh, as you mentioned, like a lot of us during the pandemic were working from home, right? And our dog was there sitting on our laps a lot of the time or whatever. Um, but maybe, you know, people, once they were working from home, you know, or, or spending more time at home isolated, they actually perceive that they have more time to, mm. to actually get a dog. So they always wanted a dog, but never could because, you know, they had to commute and their work day is too long and whatever. So maybe that contributed to an increase in interest in, you know, becoming a dog owner um, over the pandemic. But I think also it's people probably, I'm sure it's a factor that people, um, you know, we're using it as a way to sort of uh, guard against loneliness, right? I mean, that social isolation from other humans and certainly, you know, having a pet actually seems to. So there's there's data that suggests that, you know, people who did live with dogs over the pandemic actually maybe feared better or at least report feeling that they weren't as socially isolated um, as other people may have been. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. And we're going to talk a little bit about getting outside and getting walks. And that could yeah. obviously be part of it. Absolutely. Are, there's a couple of things that really strike me because I've some dogs get a bad rep. OK, uh, mm -hmm. for their for their type, they they're assumed to be a certain demeanor. But sometimes I feel like certain types of personalities migrate towards certain dogs. So for example, aggressive personalities may migrate towards aggressive type dogs. But I've seen the same type of dog with a different person and they're lovely little things. So. Right. Is there a link between how our personalities interact with our animals and vice versa? Because I feel like Caesar Milan has referred to stuff like that before on his old show. Right. So, so there definitely there definitely are links there, and what those links are are not entirely clear yet. Um, but there are people uh, and some studies that suggest that there is what you're referring to as your personality matching. It's what's called personality matching, where certain types of people, so people who have certain personality traits, may be um, uh, interested in or sort of, you know, um, want to have a particular type of dog, right? And um, there is some evidence that that does occur. But of course, personality is a really kind of funny thing to try to measure both in humans as well as in dogs. And we do have valid and scientific tools that can help us do that for both species. So we can, we have personality tests that we have lots of, lots of history and, and, and validity and reliability tests on for humans, but we also have them for dogs. And so um, it, it, it's interesting, though, because I think one of the things that we often um, do is we make some assumptions that breeds have certain personalities. Mm -hmm. And that that in a general sense is true. So there are some sort of personality factors or dimensions that may be more common among, say, for example, the hounds, right, compared to the toy breeds or something like that, right? Um, and so at the very level sort of of sort of grouping different breeds together, we see that there are trends in terms of sort of common personality traits. But I think it's always important to keep in mind when you're ever talking about a specific breed, the variability of those personality traits within the breed is going to be huge, right? So you'll have the full range of, you know, even, you know, the dogs that, you know, sometimes get a bad rap, right? Like maybe the bully type breeds, right? Mm -hmm. The pit bull type breeds, which, you know, um, are maybe considered by some people to be potentially more aggressive, et cetera, right? I mean, in those dogs as well, you see that huge variability in terms of their personality traits. That's Dr. Carolyn Walsh from the Canine Research Unit at Memorial University. She's sharing why pet owners may have some unexpected health benefits. We'll be right back after the break. 
We're here with Dr. Carolyn Walsh from the Canine Research Unit at Memorial University. She's sharing why pet owners may have some unexpected health benefits. Let's get back to the interview. You're not just a dogs are amazing person. You also very clearly state some of the challenges that having a pet can be. Can you share some of those in case I'm listening and I, I, I might want a dog, but I'm not really sure hmm. what some of the yeah. downsides are? So, so you, so it's really important, I think, to like, be careful that we don't think that everything is like rosy, right? You know, that everything is sort of glorious with pet owner relationships. That's not always the case, right? And people have very different experiences with their pets. Um, and, you know, dogs, as we were just saying, you know, can be variable in terms of, you know, how easy they are to train, right? Um, you know, how much energy they have. So as you're saying, like, you know, how often they need to walk. Um, if you're a person that is pretty sedentary and not interested in walking a long distance every day, then you probably should avoid certain breeds like a husky, right? Because you're that's, that's, they're not going to be a very happy dog. And as a consequence, you're not going to be a very happy owner if they're not getting enough exercise, right? So I think those things are really important to keep in mind. So, so I think, um, you know, sort of beyond personality matching, what I think people who are thinking about a pet really should do is consider lifestyle matching, you know, and think about, you know, what their uh, view of, you know, what they want out of their own life and what they're capable of providing for their dog in terms of, you know, training, a time devoted to walking, as you say, you know, those kinds of things, you know, you have to kind of consider that. And a lot of people unfortunately have the sort of an ideal view of, you know, a breed. Sometimes we see, actually, we don't want to blame Disney completely, but sometimes over the years we've seen these, you know, rises and falls in particular breeds that become popular because of a movie like, you know, the Dalmatian movies or something. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and that's great for those breeds, except people who know those breeds often go, Oh no. Right. You know, we're yes. going to get a lot of people interested in this and that's maybe not a breed that's suitable for everybody. I'm not picking on Dalmatians, but you know, just as an example, right. We do see these waxing and waning of popularity of specific breeds over time. Um, and so, so it, it's gotta be more, and a lot of times people are attracted to the physical features of a particular dog right, breed. Right, right. And I would say that way beyond, and those are not unimportant because you do have to think of things like how much does does the dog shed? You know, do you have allergies in the family? Those kinds of things. Those are all really important things to consider that are related to the physical aspects of the dog. But I think more important is even like the, the, the typical, um, you know, kind of um, uh, personality or the activity levels in particular of the dog, right? And what they need. Sometimes, you know, we know that we think that, you know, well, we really like really smart dogs, you know, that are quick to learn and to catch on to things. Um, and that's really good particularly if you're interested in particular activities with your dogs, right? Um, like, you know, agility or obedience or, or whatever. You want dogs that are, you know, happy to train with you and want to catch on, you know, or catch on quickly and want to work with you. Um, but those, comes with, those come with challenges too, right? The flip side of that coin is that they always want to be, some of them always want to be doing that, right? And so, it, you, you know, they need to be stimulated and we have to account for all those things when we're talking about, you know, uh, what dog actually really suits your lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I had a Husky mix. And once I discovered that arm thing with the ball that makes you throw it like a football field length, I was best kind. Right. But my poor arm was getting sore throwing the ball as far as I could to make that thing run as best yeah. as I could. So yeah, yeah that's, and, and you know, so we're touching on a subject I think is really, really important. And that is um, physical health. How can mm -hmm. animals help us improve our amount of exercise? <laughs> So there seems to be almost a direct relationship between owning a dog and how physically active people might, you know, report being. And a lot of that may be because dogs, particularly if you live in an urban area, so a city um, with a dog, um, then they actually, you know, you need to take them out for walks on a regular basis for obvious reasons, right? Um, and that maybe changes a little bit depending if you live in a rural area or suburban area. A lot of us in suburbia have large yards. And so you maybe you know, can get away with throwing the ball for the dog as opposed to having to walk like 10 kilometers a day or something, right? Yes. And so, um, so that, that can change. But there does seem to be a relationship between um, physical health and um, pet ownership. And probably because it does require um, you to get out more if you have a pet. Um, there is a downside to some of that as well, though. Um, we know that there, is, there are some studies that say for seniors who have pets, that's a really positive thing because they can get more exercise with their dog. It's all the social support aspects that the pet provides, all those things are all positive. But there does seem to be a slightly higher risk for seniors who have pets compared to seniors who don't. Those seniors with pets seem to have a higher risk of actually falling and having fall-related injuries. Um, and that may be obvious, like, you know, the dog maybe get under, gets underfoot sometimes or the cat even, um, you know, or if you have to go out and you have to walk your dog in inclement weather and it's icy, you know, you're kind of exposing yourself to higher risk, um, which is not to say that, you know, seniors shouldn't have pets. Of course they, they yes. should. And the benefits probably outweigh the risks. Um, but it's, I think you, you always want balance, right? We always want to understand that, you know, I think our inherent bias, because many of us like you know have pets and we have enriched lifestyles because of our pets you know um we think everything is positive but some we have to make sure that we're considering the other potential aspects where you know we really need to understand what's most suitable for people in terms of their lifestyle in terms of their you know their own lives and their age etc right um what actually works and where they might actually need to have help with those kinds of things as well well, that's excellent. Yeah, no, we're starting to wind down here now. And I think the information you've given is amazing. We've learned that, you know, animals have a connection with us, improve our mental health, our physical health. Um, any, any sort of last advice for people that may be looking at getting uh, an animal in their house? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm obviously saying this as both a, you know, lifelong dog and cat owner, um, as well as a researcher. I think, you know, if you are a person who's who's interested in owning a pet, um, then I think, you know, you should follow that interest, right? And really consider how that might benefit you because it probably would, right? So follow your natural instincts in a sense. Um, if you think that uh, having a dog, you know, is something that you want to do and you have the time to take care of the dog the way that it would need to based on the type of dog it is, then definitely, you know, uh, go for it. But you do 
have to consider like, you know, that balance, right? That um, it does change your life in a lot of ways, right? It requires like, you know, better planning around vacations even, right? So you can't just automatically pick up and leave when you want. You have to like hire a pet sitter or you bring the dog with you, right? So there's all these other aspects. And I think one of the things that I I know that people who work in um, rescue and um, sheltering and who do adoption placements with um, pets, they are concerned that when you have somebody who comes to um, adopt a dog, that they do understand you know, all of these aspects and that they're ready to make a commitment because it really is a lifelong commitment for the life of the dog, for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for all of your insight and your personal experience, which is also extremely valuable. And uh, thanks for coming on the show today. You're very welcome. It's great to be here. Take care. Well, that was Dr. Carolyn Walsh. When we come back, we'll talk with Sandy Delaney of the Newfoundland Athletic Dog Association about their programs, which keep dogs and their humans active. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Sandy Delaney from the Newfoundland Athletic Dog Association. It's a member-based, not-for-profit organization located in St. John's, Newfoundland. Their focus is dog sports such as agility, fly ball, and rally. They try to encourage responsible dog ownership and sportsmanlike competition in their dog sports. Well, she talked to me about how dogs and their owners can get some much needed physical activity with their program. Let's check it out. Hi, Sandy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. This is a cool topic. This is a really cool topic because we're talking about dogs and how they're good for us. You're part of an organization called NADA. Tell me about that. Okay, so NADA is N-A-D-A, and it stands for the Newfoundland Athletic Dog Association. So obviously from the name, you know, we're into dog sports. And so we're a large group of dog enthusiasts, and we're really into positive-based training. And we love to play sports with our dogs. It's very active. It's very physically challenging um, and mentally challenging. It's a wonderful activity. And so we're a member group, member-based group. And so right now we've grown to 115 members and uh, it's really quite something. We started off 15 years ago. So this is our 15 year anniversary. And so we started off with a much smaller group. I was not part of that original group. Um, but they got together and created this organization as all volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, with 115 members, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. We rent a warehouse that we have fitted out with um, this great cushioned flooring. It's shock absorbing flooring. Um, so when the dogs are landing their jumps, when they're doing this over and over, we have to protect them, right? They're our best friends. And uh, so we have all like top notch equipment and everybody works together. We We have a board of directors, we have training committees, we have dog safety committees. It's, it's wonderful. We cover all aspects of it and we're very supportive group. I love that. I think that's such a great concept. And I mean, I can only imagine how much fun it is to see dogs flying around and running around and, you know, actually listening too. So that's all part of it. We'll talk a little bit about the training side of things. You know, why was it created to begin with? Was there like an inspiration for it or? Um, Well, Back then, a lot of the dog training in the area um, was kind of more disciplinary type training. And Mm -hmm. there was a group of people here who wanted to focus on positive based training. Mm -hmm. And they also wanted to learn about the sport of agility. 
So one of our creators is uh, Diane Ford, and she's a professor at MUN, and she came here from Saskatchewan, and she was big into agility there, and she wanted to help create the sport here. So she was one of the leading members, and um, yeah, so it just grew from there. And so it was really to have a group of people, and they created a club, so you had to apply to be a member. So it was a way to make sure that everybody was had the same training philosophy. Uh, that we were all positive based trainers. That's important. That's important. I mean, I'm sure the animals get tons out of it, getting lots of exercise and and, and have fun. But do people get uh, what do the owners get out of it as as a result of it? Um, well, it's so much fun for us to see our dogs grow and their dog the confidence in our dogs. Like mm-hmm. it's that's so rewarding. I have one team that just comes to my mind, and the dog was very timid and nervous and. Um, they came into one of my classes. I'm one of the instructors and the dog just blossomed with confidence and the owner blossomed with confidence. And as the dog's confidence grew, the owner's dog uh, confidence grew. And, you know, the owner learns about dog training They and they learn things like, um, like learning theory uh, and how do we as humans learn? How do dogs learn? Like those like kind of scientific based uh, aspects of learning. Um, And they get to run out and play with their dogs and meet people. You meet like-minded people. So you're hanging out with like-minded people and we're just coming out of COVID. It's important to, you know, for our mental health to be um, participating activities where everybody feels the same about it and they're very positive about it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, it's funny. Some of the ways habits are ingrained with animals, from my experience with pets, is consistency and reward and all these positive things. And we think about what we do for wellness is people are inconsistent with the way they eat and they punish themselves and they feel guilty. It's just, we'd never do it to a dog. We should train ourselves maybe like dogs for our wellness. <laughs> if we take as good care of ourselves as we do of our dogs, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that's so beautiful about what you do because, you know, people are getting out because they want their dogs to have fun but they're probably getting a lot of physical activity as well right yes yeah the earlier classes the owners are kind of not moving around as much because we're teaching the dogs about like listening to us and and rewarding them to be close to us rewarding them to work away from us so a little bit less but once we get into running like sequences of activities Mm -hmm. oh yeah you're running (laughs) yeah i've seen that at a dog show the dogs are zipping through everything so what are some of the activities that they do because you have like what is it three main activities they can participate in yeah so agility is our big one Mm -hmm. and that's probably one of the more common ones rally obedience is another one and fly ball what is fly ball so fly ball is a game where there is um, a course, uh, it's a straight course of four jumps and the jumps are set 10 feet apart and the jump height is depending on the dog. And at the end of that line of four jumps, there's a box that has an angled front on it. So the dog comes in and bounces off the box and a ball pops up and they grab the ball and they turn around, and they run the course back. So if you think of swimming, when people are in competitive swimming, when they, they do that flip turn and they bounce off the wall, yeah. the dog is trained to do the same thing. So they have to be trained to do that safely yeah. and they grab the ball and come back. And so in fly ball, there's two dogs running at the same time and they're racing each other. And the other fun thing they do in fly ball is they can have team relay sports. So they can have four on a team 
team and they're going. It's super high energy. It's loud. You have to be able to tolerate a lot of dog barking. It's super high energy. Wow. That sounds amazing. That's amazing. So I, I know that you guys are full for your membership, but it does sound like a lot of fun. And there's probably pet owners out there right now, dog owners thinking this would be fantastic. Uh, how do people get involved or join uh, if there is availability? So we have a wait list. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you go to our website, um, Newfoundland Athletic Dog website, there's a section there, contact us, and then you can fill, put in your name and all your contact information. And our club secretary takes in that information and hands it off to our registrar. So we have a registrar. And so when there's a new uh, session of classes, so we do five sessions a year and they're eight week sessions and the registrar will send you out an um, email in a group say, okay, we're taking in new people now and so everybody coming into the club has to take our dog sports foundations class uh -huh. and that really is about helping you learn the skill of shaping your dog to do something so that's a way that we train our dogs um, mm -hmm. it gets the dogs used to working around other dogs because mm -hmm. that's super important for the dog to be able to stay focused on you and not run off and go hey you know i'm gonna go play with the next dog down the road yeah. you know which my young dog, Wink, who's a year now, is super good with me, but he can run off down to the neighbor next door to kind yeah. of say, I want to check out your toy. Right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they learn those skills in our foundations class. And so you can come and do two classes with us. And in that time period, you get to know us. Yeah. We get to know you. And then if you uh, feel that we're compatible and we feel you're compatible with our philosophy, then you can yeah. apply to be a member. That's awesome. And are all types of dogs welcome? Yes. Yeah. As long as they're healthy. Yeah. So there's no purebreds like anyone. So we've had quite a few dogs, uh, crossbreeds, rescues, and rescues who've actually had some difficult times in their life. Mm -hmm. And they've come in and they've taken part in our classes and they've blossomed. The owners have blossomed. It's really quite, I'm getting emotional. That's great. Uh, it's really quite lovely. Well, yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're a pet owner yourself. So I'll ask you a personal question now. Like, what do you get out of being a, a dog owner? Uh, wow. My dogs are my world. Yeah. <laughs> um, they are, I mean, they're so energetic. They're loving. They're in they They give you something to do something positive to focus on. You know, they're social. I do so many activities with my friends. Some of my best friends I've met actually through not, you know, cause mm -hmm. we're like-minded. We go out and we enjoy the same things. Um, my dogs, make me active physically active um so my two older dogs i walk them together and then my young dog i walk so i walk twice a day yeah. at a minimum and um it's just the, the challenge of stimulating them and teaching them things and you know it's it's rewarding to advance them and and i think make me productive in a both a physical way yeah, mentally challenged and socially active yeah and I asked Dr. Walsh the same question, you know, uh, what advice would you have for people that were looking at getting a dog? Cause there's obviously pros. It's a, it's very rewarding. I've had dogs and I love them. Um, but they also have some challenges. Uh, what advice would you give people about making that decision if they should make the leap? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things is research the breed. Mm -hmm. Like, I think you should really know what the characteristics of the breed are. Like, why was the dog, 
that dog bred? What was their job? Right. Mm-hmm. So I have three border collies. Right? right. So not, you know, um, high energy dog, very smart, uh, not for everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes when people are, you know, watching a movie and there's a dog staring in the movie and the dog does really well and they go, oh, I want a dog just like that. Be careful. Just research the breed. So, you know, if you have children, you know, in your house, have a dog that's good with children. So just I think that's one of the biggest things. Research. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, exactly. I was saying earlier that you don't get an active dog if you like to watch movies all day long and maybe look for a breed that's more cuddly and a lap dog, maybe something like a Shih Tzu, which is great too. Meant to do. And then the other thing, research training classes. I think everybody Mm. should take a training class. If you have a puppy, take one that's focused on puppies. There's lots of great trainers here in the city now, all positive-based trainers. If you enter a class and the first thing they want to do is, is, fit your dog with a choke collar, I suggest you turn and go. (laughs) It's not a positive based training program. So, and if you um, have an adult dog now that you've never heard of these sports or whatever, yeah, you can go out and get into a training class. Not only ours, but there's lots of great training classes. So if people wanted to find out more, what was that website you mentioned again? So it was nfldathleticdog.com. That's perfect. And for anybody listening, I'll make sure I put that in our social media so that you can see the posting and you guys can track down that site as well. Sandy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and sharing all about your program. Thank you for having me. Thank you to my guests for joining me today. Getting a dog is a big responsibility. It requires care, attention, some money, and lots of dedication. But the payoffs can be big. Now, if you're looking to get a dog, make sure you do some research on the breed. Make sure your activity level and lifestyle matches what you're getting. And be sure to seek out some pros for training or other questions you may have. Well, that's our show this week. Next week, we talk about the science of sleep. So for all you tossers and turners, be sure to tune in. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.